Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week on the podcast, I am talking to Paola Antonelli. Paola, of course, is the Senior Curator of Architecture and Design, as well as the Director of R&D at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, where she's worked to expand the uh, traditionally held definitions of design by making some uh, kind of bold acquisitions, like the at sign and the original emoji set. She's written and edited for publications like Domus, Metropolis, and Harper's Bazaar, and previously taught at the University of California and in Harvard's Graduate School of Design. And I'm pretty sure she is the first person I've interviewed for the podcast who was also interviewed by Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report. Back in August, I visited Paula at her office in MoMA to talk about how she thinks about her work, especially around curating design exhibitions for general audiences, expanding the definitions of design, and why she feels her goal is to make everyone a type of design critic. We also talk about her own background and early realization that design was this methodology that could be applied to different fields and platforms, the problems with contemporary design education, and the challenges facing designers as design gains uh, more and more cultural currency. Paula obviously is incredibly smart and thoughtful, and I really enjoyed this truly wide-ranging conversation. We spoke in the middle of preparation for her current exhibition, Items is Fashion Modern, which just went up at MoMA, so I can't express how much I appreciate her taking time out of that to talk to me about all of these things that I'm interested in. So I am truly honored and excited to share this wonderful conversation with Paola Antonelli. I was thinking about this today and kind of what I wanted to talk to you about and the kind of genesis of this podcast is this intersection between kind of practice and criticism or, or kind of practice and thinking about these things. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that you originally studied architecture, mm-hmm. right? And so I thought this was a, a good way to kind of set up this conversation. When, when you were in school studying architecture, did you think you were going to be a practicing architect? Um, not really, but there's something to be said about architecture in Milan at that time because it was still mass university mm. and it was the university where people that didn't know what to do in life would go to. So it, there was there were two university two, two schools. One was law and the other was architecture, which were the two schools where people that didn't really have a clue oh, okay. would go. Yeah. And I had gone for two years to economics school mm. and I really didn't fit there and I didn't have the brains for it so I left and went to architecture exactly because I was like I want to get the hell out of economics so so when I started I had no clue whatsoever I just it was almost like a reaction to get away from economics okay and then I tried working as an architect towards the end for six months but I really was not it was not my thing okay Mm -hmm. so did you going into that program or switching from economics to architecture, how, I I don't know how to ask this without it sounding kind of weird, but how aware of 
of what architecture was or what an architect did were you like when when you at the end when you were starting to practice it and you realized it wasn't for you was that a surprise no i was aware of what an architect was i was also aware that by going to architecture school i could be a fashion designer a furniture designer okay. a graphic designer okay. or a chef um also i forgot to tell you there was mass university which meant i paid 200 dollars a year oh and there was okay. no in admission exam so i'm talking yeah. about Right. I think that it's a very different kind of university. Yeah. And it has its pros and its cons. I think that the American system is very, very interesting, and the Italian system is very interesting too. In Italy, you feel like the only thing that you're wasting is time. You don't waste yeah. money. Yeah. You don't waste, you know, because you just test different things. Mm -hmm. In the United States, you go into school getting indebted. So right. you don't have any time. To lose and you don't have that much time for speculation yeah you immediately yeah. want to make money as right. soon as you get out because you have to pay school students debt so it is two very different systems yeah that's and interesting I, I just I'm very glad that I went to the Italian school because it's more attuned to my way of thinking I don't think that I would be here if I had had to decide at the yeah. inception what I wanted to be so or if I had to make money as soon as I got <laughs> how how did that how did that kind of transition then happen after kind of finishing that program and then starting to work and you were kind of curating right from the beginning or kind of you know teaching and things like that pretty much right away right I was yeah um, Milan gives you many more opportunities to oh, okay. Um, to do, you know, here in, in New York, there's only big architecture and design shows. Right. I mean, there's a few small ones, but usually the stages are already of the first degree, so yeah. you, you need to fight to get there. In Milan, you have many different opportunities in smaller exhibition spaces, galleries, the Sunrise and Mobile. So there were many opportunities. Okay. And, uh, um, and also, I was lucky because I, I was curating I was a golfer I was not really curating but then <laughs> right. they also hired yeah. me they also hired yeah. me at Domus I was able right. always to have these kind of um, hybrid positions that were inside the editorial office but yeah. also outside I guess I guess that's kind of starting to get at the question that I'm kind of having some trouble articulating is that even though I, I'm interested in that kind of even though you realized very quickly that you maybe did not want to be an architect that it seems like the themes or the ideas around architecture and design were something that were very interesting to you, even oh, if you weren't going yeah. to be a practitioner? Absolutely. Well, first of all, when you went to school at that time, now it's changed, but um, everybody was together. So we were 15,000 mm. students in architecture. Oh, wow. And uh, amongst the teachers, you had bona fide architects, theoretical architects, historians. Right and philosophers, and then you had furniture designers, mm -hmm. Castiglioni was there, Zaluzzo oh, wow. was there, so really the idea, and also there was no way to do anything practical because there was no room to have labs and to have tables yeah. and workshops, that's it, it was all theoretical. So when you learn theory of architecture and design from people that are practitioners right. like Castiglioni, all of a sudden you realize that design is a methodology and a creative endeavor that can be applied to different platforms and different yeah, scales. Yeah. So 
I never felt that I had to become an architect. I knew from the start I could be an, a journalist. Yeah. And I could be a filmmaker. I mean, it's really, it was really about the creative process, the constructive, yeah. targeted creative process. So this was not something that I was planning on asking you, but this raises a question. Do you see your work now or, or your entire mm -hmm. career as a design activity? Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. You know, even if you um, don't call yourself a practitioner. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. I always feel that also essays and exhibitions yeah. and, uh, yeah, they are design feats of some sort. Do you, I, I'm curious how that kind of mindset or that way of thinking about design influences the actual work that you're doing and, and, you know, the act of curating an exhibition where you are selecting objects, I guess, uh, when you think about design as something much bigger than that, how, how do those things come together? Does that, do you know what I'm... No, tell me again. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate this. I think something that's very interesting to me about you and your work is that often a curator is seen as someone who's kind of selecting objects and putting them together mm -hmm. but the way you just kind of articulated the design process or the way you see design the object is just a byproduct of some some kind of larger investigation or idea mm -hmm. how does that way of thinking about design influence you know kind of collecting of objects i don't think that there's any curator that just collects objects i think that okay. every curator invests objects with more meaning than what you, than what you see yeah, whether yeah, it is yeah. a monographic show for an, an art for a designer as far as i'm concerned the objects are thresholds it's true windows into different right. universes but um i always have also a thesis that the objects support it in a way so, yeah that's what i was kind of yeah yeah so that happens all the time of course when you are talking about the collection of the museum you know, when you do exhibitions, yeah. then you can play that way. You know, you have right. pieces, you choose the objects. When it's the collection, every object has to stand on its own. Yeah. So it's a little more, the selection is tougher in a way. Right. And that's when you really have to find the balance. And since this, this, is, an art, this is an art museum, form is still very important. Right. And I like form, so I don't have any, yeah, yeah, yeah. any fear of it. I guess this kind of raises questions that I have about, I, I don't want to say that some of your acquisitions have been, have been, some some of the thing, you know, I'm thinking about like the at sign, for mm -hmm. example, was, was kind of, I, I don't want to say controversial, but it raised a lot of yeah. questions. And that's really the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why the, the, the at sign is a great way to think about what design is, what museums do, what curator's role is, yeah. what is an acquisition, what is yeah. the public domain, who owns things when they are immaterial. It's the right, beauty of it, right? right? And um, can modern be something that existed in the Middle Ages and today? So mm -hmm. that's why I love so much the at sign. More than controversial, it's deep. It's like right. intense, it's poignant, yeah. right? You know, and I was very happy. I'm very proud of that anointment, not yeah. even an acquisition. Yeah. 
Um, I don't even remember how it happened. People ask me, and I really don't remember. I mean, it's been growing. Yeah. I mean, it took a while because also the first intuition had then to be buttressed by reality. So I had to learn more about the history. Right. But to this day, it condenses so much. Do you feel, I think, I think the at sign especially is a good example of this, but I'm also thinking of things like the original emoji mm -hmm. set mm -hmm. or video games yeah. or even, you know, pieces of code. Do you, do you feel a responsibility? And that's kind of a big word, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's right. Do you feel a responsibility to widen or change the general public's perception of what design oh, yeah. is of course no no absolutely um there's um there's a, a section of my work that is about the r d department yeah. at the moment and it's about talking about issues that do that relate to the world and the museums can help we did a series about the object mm. and it's the idea of object that has changed right you know the fact that it's not necessarily physical it can right. be digital so um, definitely, it's about explaining to people that objects are not just the microphone, the file, the f piece of furniture, that interfaces are objects yeah. that yeah. are designed, that, well, as far as I'm concerned, I proposed a show on scent design, and then it, was, oh, wow. it, it didn't go, but yeah, but scent is also yeah. a form of design, in my opinion. Yeah. Anything that involves at least one of the senses is right. a form of design now when it comes to music it's too complex so i didn't i don't even go there but <laughs> yeah. you could say that yeah know? something that's very interesting to me as both a design practitioner and then also someone who spends a lot of time talking to people about design and writing about design is that so much of the contemporary kind of design discourse often is very superficial and especially in graphic design if a I use this example a lot. If a company redesigns their logo, a lot of the discussion is about how the typeface has changed or the color has changed or the kerning is a little bit mm -hmm. different uh, without ever kind of going to deeper questions about, you know, maybe why that company had to redesign their logo or what were the cultural conditions that mm -hmm. led to that or what is the world that this, you know, object is going into. How do you think about that type of, you know, discourse or discussion around um, whether it be a show or, you know, an exhibition or kind of individual objects or, or things in the collection and, and kind of the education point of that and not looking at them as, uh, you know, something that you just kind of look at and walk away, but as, you know, this kind of deeper, deeper thing. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about the superficial yeah. versus the depth. Part. Yeah. It's very hard to make people understand in words simply yeah. the importance of the choice of a font, for instance. Right. You kind of have to show it to them. Yeah. Right? So I think that it's very powerful to take a piece of text written by somebody and to show the same piece in Avenir versus <sighs> Dean, you know. Right. And but that when they see it, they get it. You know, mm -hmm. so it's almost like describing wine with words you know what i'm saying right As right to yeah it be tasted sometimes there's yeah. something ineffable especially about graphic design and especially about fonts yeah fonts are the most complex yeah difficult thing to choose to talk about to mm -hmm. curate and really yeah, it's tough yeah 
and uh, but there's nothing better than just showing. How how do you how do you something that's very interesting to me and something I think about a lot is this idea of audience and kind of who who design writing is being written for or a design exhibition who is kind of coming through that or who will be encountering that and a lot of the people that I've talked to uh, for this podcast have been people that are often writing to other designers it's kind of a a Mm -hmm. discourse for the profession and something you know you in an art museum have a very different audience I imagine and and Mm -hmm. I'm even thinking like you're the first person that I've talked to that was on the Colbert Report, which is a very different audience. <laughs> How do you think about talking about these types of things to people that probably have or might not have any background knowledge or maybe didn't even know that they were interested in, in this? See, that's the point. Nobody <laughs> yeah. has no knowledge of design. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just like, okay. yeah. ultimately, right. the people that come to the museum are the ones that designers work for. In most cases, you know what I'm saying? It's like not yeah. in all cases, but like Pac-Man was designed for everyone. He right. had signed the poster right. note. I mean, there are some really rarefied chairs that are in the collection, but nobody doesn't know anything about design. They just don't have it formulated in the way. Oh, I academic. see what you're saying. Yeah. So um, very often when people used to come to the galleries of design when we had them, because now they're closed, you would see these like, People of all ages going around and point, pointing at things in the vitrine saying, I used to have that toaster, right. I used to have that record player. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. All of a sudden, you see your life in the museum. And right. it's a beautiful moment because you realize that the museum is about you. You always maybe thought that the museum was about Van Gogh or Matisse, these kind of larger-than-life geniuses that donated, that regaled the world with these masterpieces. And all of a sudden, your life is in a vitrine in a museum. The Kikuman soy sauce is on a pedestal. All of a sudden, you're (laughs) like, what? Um, Or there's this beautiful visualization design that we have in the collection that is about the certain blocks in inner cities in the United States where um, the government, whether federal or local, spends more than a million dollars a year to keep people Mm -hmm. either in halfway houses or in prison. And it's a beautiful visualization. And there would be this program that MoMA would have with inner city kids, and they would come and see their own story on the wall. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, when it's about you. And how does that... How 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 does that how does that change does that change at all how you think about these things? Me? Yeah, as somebody who is kind of you know it is your job, and then you know kind of seeing people that didn't know that that was maybe well, design. Well, it makes me. It doesn't change it. It reinforces it, and okay. it moves me, and it makes me really proud. I remember when we acquired Minecraft and oh, we were yeah. in the galleries and you would see the little kids dragging the parents yeah. towards the wall. It's not something you see that often yeah. in museums. Yeah. It makes me really happy. Just like, you know, I don't believe, you know, are you happy? Mm, that makes me happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. How, I, I think all of these are really good examples of how design, and I'm, I'm using that word loosely here, has changed culturally and I think you've written or talked about this before about and I mean we were even talking about just earlier in this conversation about you know scent or Mm -hmm. you know people are talking about kind of designing 
you know, redesigning DNA or design has just become this word that means so many different things. Mm-hmm. Does that change how you do your work or, or kind of structure exhibitions or, or something? Not really, because it's as if I were an art curator. I mean, you can't really follow definitions of art okay. every time yeah. they pop up. You yeah. just do your thing. You have your own internal definition for working purposes and for, for preaching purposes, and then you go with it. So right. I can't really get bothered. I mean, when people ask me about design thinking, I tell them, okay, make sure you understand it's not design, you know, and right. they're like, what? Right. It's not, it's just method. So I need to clarify right. or when they show me some kind of artist's chair that hardly stands up and costs $50,000, I'm like, you know, that's pretty bad. If it's designed, yeah. it's bad. <laughs> yeah, right. How do you, this, this might, I don't mean to be reductive in this question, but mm-hmm. how do you draw those lines around, around that? It's not very easy. You mean around the chair in particular? Yeah. Well, You're like, the chair is this easy. is not. No, the chair is easy. The chair is quite easy because um, you can tell quite soon enough if it's self-expression mm-hmm. and uh, like an artist descending towards design or if it's real right, design. Right, right. You know, the chair, you can tell. How has, this is coming back to kind of my question before, but I'm interested in how, this is a two-part question. You can kind of answer it. You can answer either part mm-hmm. or whatever part is interesting to you. But I'm interested in how the kind of cultural awareness of design which we were kind of talking about earlier that kind of everybody does kind of have some knowledge of design has that changed over the course of your career and then the second part is kind of design as a profession has the way the profession talked about their work changed kind of over the course of your career so the the understanding of uh, uh, of design that people have varies a lot on location in mm. Milan, everybody, like, it's normal. Yeah. But every, every place has different strengths. Like, in Milan, good design is normal, not because people are more sophisticated, but because if you need a coffee pot or you need a trivet, right. you go downstairs and you cross the street to a crummy little store yeah. where you find the Bialetti, because that's the cheapest and it's just well designed I mean, so good design is normal and not more expensive than bad design people talk about it people really love it people are trained to recognizing um if aluminum is cast or, or it's yeah. extruded you know what i'm saying yeah, it's just a yeah, different yeah. a different culture which is what we what we don't have is contemporary art and you come here right. instead there's this habit with contemporary right. art so in milan design the awareness of design and the understanding is always alive. Same mm-hmm. thing in some parts of Germany, same things in some parts of Spain. Uh, you could say the same about some parts of England. So it really is localized, right? Yeah. Um, I've seen it change in New York City in interesting ways and over, around the United States. I think that uh, Apple did a lot, you know. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, yeah. It's uh, especially, you know, since the iPod, but even before. Um, even from the iMac, I think that Apple needs to be credited yeah. with that. Even yeah. though I'm, I'm not, 
Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that everything they do is golden, but they need to be credited <laughs> yeah. with like making making people more demanding. Yeah, I don't like to say consumer. You'll notice that I don't right. say it because I, I would like to eliminate that word from our lexicon. But uh, people have understood that good design matters mm -hmm. at all levels, both as people that buy the products and as companies. You know, you come yeah. from Warby Parker, so yeah. you know exactly. Yeah how design can be important. But see, Neil and all the people from Warby come after Apple. Right. It, it, they could have happened even before, and they did happen before, even in the United States, but they were lost. So I would say the U.S. had that culture of design um, in companies like Cummings Engines, for yeah. instance, yeah. or in companies like IBM when, I, when Albert Watson Jr. Right. was right. really admiring Adriano Olivetti. So it's interesting. There are these companies that existed also before, but I have to say that Apple really gave a boost to contemporary company making yeah. in terms of design. And what's interesting to me about Apple and and even IBM, I think, is that design was this thing that was so integral to their business. It wasn't. Uh, you know, kind of just decoration at the end to make mm -hmm. things no, look better. Exactly. It was very, you know, much ingrained in the whole process yes, in everything. Absolutely. And uh, in a way, it was much more than just putting out good products or pretty products. It was about teaching corporations that design should be in the in the executive suite. Yeah. You know, in a way. Yeah. So um, after jobs, it happened even before. I mean, once again, yeah. if I go back to Olivetti or if yeah, I go back yeah. to IBM, or Herman Miller. I mean, these had yeah, designers right. that were really close to the CEOs, but it had been lost. And I have to say that Jobs really gave this push to the idea again. And for a while, there were companies, even big companies, P&G or GE, yeah. etc. They had designers very close to the executive suite. Something that is very interesting to me, or something that I think about a lot that's very related to this, is that as as design has kind of gotten that type of uh, you know, notoriety, I guess, or, mm -hmm. or it has risen where there's you know, C-level mm -hmm. designers and big corporations, yeah. that there's a certain responsibility that comes with, with that in, in kind of putting out work that is, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, not kind of, you know, thinking about sustainability and not consumerism, always. and not always. You wish, no, yeah. yeah. But mm -hmm. do, does any of do you consider things like that when when you're acquiring a piece oh, or putting on a show? I always do. I always okay. Do. Like it, it, it's not like every object has to be perfectly sustainable. In, right. Otherwise, it would right. be impossible. But I look at it, and if there's no responsibility towards the environment, there needs to be a trade-off. Something else must be stunning. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so yeah. There are some items, like for instance, we acquired into the collection two years ago, one of the bricks that came from David Benjamin's The Living, you know, the tower that oh, yeah. was built on yeah. the PS1. Yeah. So in that particular case, the object has a beauty that comes from the fact that it's made of corn stalk and mycelium, right? Right. It's not a pretty object onto itself. Right. So its importance and its beauty to me comes from exactly from that. Yeah. In other cases, sustainability is not even 
an issue because maybe the goal of the object is different. Maybe the goal is to demonstrate a particular 3D printing process. The resin is not biodegradable. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you need to be really mindful of what you're looking at any time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of leading into what my question was. And this is a big question, so I, mm-hmm. I understand if, it's, if this is going to be hard to answer. But, you know, we're kind of talking we're talking at a a certain theoretical level and and we're occasionally pointing to specific examples. Um, But we're talking a lot about, you know, kind of good design or bad design, how, how you even can define that. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, good design is a concept with a capital G that goes back to the um, history of the museum and to the history of modernism. And if, when you leave, you'll see by the elevator, there's a little, there's a little, you know, picture that says good design is in characters from the 1940s um it's hard to it's hard to really define what good design is anymore um in a way good is a little bit of a synonym or very attuned to the idea of modern so it's something that is constructive that pushes the world slightly forward that has a certain honesty you can still see the idea of the designer in it yeah and it really tries to add something to the world that's to me really the good part of it so adding something to the world doesn't mean being so pragmatic as to only add something good you know even i always use as an example Mm. the tamagotchi it's like there's nothing (laughs) more useless yeah but I think it added something to our evolution as human beings. Maybe a very small thing. I mean, there's more important things than the Tamagotchi, but I would be sad if it hadn't existed. Right. That's interesting. And that's something I think about coming from the point of a critic. And would you, I guess, you know, would you consider your work a kind of critical activity or would you consider yourself a critic? A design yeah, critic? I have a critical stance, yes. Mm-hmm. Does that, I mean, that's something I always think about is how you critique a piece of design or, or design, you know, as, a, as an object or an mm-hmm. artifact or as an idea when there's all these trade-offs. Uh, you know, yeah. d- is it aesthetically or formally or is it kind of It depends culturally... on the object. It's very contextual. And truly what I would like to do is to make everybody into critics. And that's, like, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm trying to... I'm trying to help people sharpen their own tools. When you're mm. looking at diamond earrings, mm-hmm. right? You're going to have a different critical stance than when you're looking at, you know, a biodegradable brick or, right. you know, or right. an umbrella. You know? right. So you really need to change yourself. You cannot be so dogmatic and inflexible as to always be the same critic in front of everything. Right. Can you talk more... I want to come back to that in a second, but you said something that was interesting to me. Could you talk more about wanting to make everyone a critic? Yeah, I I think that my job is not really telling people what things are like or what design is, but rather is to expose people to enough good or contentious example of design so that they can develop their own critical tools in order to reject, mm-hmm. in order to demand, in order to accept, in order to celebrate. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. I just think that um, more awareness of the whole life cycle of objects, about the consequence, more awareness of the consequences of buying something that is not biodegradable, that is not disposable, that is yeah. disposable. Yeah. Um, understanding that sometimes investing more money in a more durable object is meaningful 
it's there's so many different things but i would just like people to um take objects not anymore on your face value but have the pleasure just ex experience the pleasure of knowing what's behind before right. and after an object right. and it's so so often talked about as good or bad or i like it or i don't like it and so you're kind of saying you know you there's all still, this others yeah you can still you know, say you, i like it so right. long as i like it means all these different right, things you right right and um you know just like, like people have learned what a director of photography does they have learned what production designer does mm -hmm. they know what mixing tracks means I would like them to understand the same to get to the same level of understanding about design it's not about being able to do the design or being able yeah. to make a movie but it's being able to appreciate the different components right how how open are you or how uh you know how how much do you let your point of view on these objects or when you're or you know let's not even leave it at objects when you're curating an exhibition how much of your opinion or your thoughts on that exhibition come through or or do 100%. you kind of okay no no i don't i i think it's uh, people that pretend to be objective in journalism and in curation yeah. are lying i mean right. you can be you can be channeling another subjectivity, another person's subjectivity when you do a monographic show of a living artist. But yeah. the moment you do a thematic show, it's your opinion. So how do you, how do you, you know, kind of put yourself into this while also leaving it up to the viewer to, to very, make their own conclusion? Very humbly, you say, this is my take. Yeah. Make your own. Like okay. the next exhibition that I'm working on is a list of 111 garments right. that had a strong impact on the world in the past century. It's my list. Right. And right. Uh, I bet you that um, a woman or a man, white man, Western, we yeah. probably would overlap 80%. And then the other 20% would be specific to you. Maybe it would be swayed mm. more towards your gender, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever. But if you make somebody from Johannesburg made the yeah. same list, it would be different. But the moment you make a list, people want to make their own. So right. very simply, right. even just that, I say, that's me. This is my assistant. This is the research assistancy. Another white woman from Europe. This is a Jewish right. woman from New York. You know, so this is our list. Yeah. Make your own. Interesting. I have just a couple kind of quick questions. Yeah, just sure. uh, th these are kind of questions that I ask kind of everyone to, to to wrap it up. I'm interested in what you think the design profession at large. What are the issues, topics, kind of considerations that designers should be thinking about, writing about, talking about? So interesting. I think that one of the biggest issues is the education issue. Mm. Um, because I do believe that uh, design schools are too expensive yeah, and therefore yeah. students are not feeling free to experiment. I mean, they're not artists. They shouldn't be completely expressing themselves, but still there should be a little more of a sense that um, one can take the liberty to, yeah. to just yeah. try, you know, yeah. just try things. So that's to me a big issue. Um, other issue 
is the system, the rec recruitment system, because it mm. favors a certain type of designer that can go right. work in studios and incorporations. So there's the headhunting system that right. completely discounts um, designers that have been formed in schools like the European ones, like say Eindhoven or yeah. Geneva, etc. Yeah. And ultimately, that's to the detriment of companies. You mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. it filters. Every, it filters out everything that cannot be classified in an easy way. Yeah. So that's interesting. I think that there, education and then porosity mm -hmm. is a big issue. Those, those are the negative ones. The positive ones is that more and more, slowly but surely, there are designers that are entering positions that are not typical of designers. There's right. more venture capital firms that are including right. designers. Yeah. There's... Um, you know, governments you know, that have IT positions and sometimes they have also heads of design positions. So I see that the world is coming to terms with the importance of design in general culture, but there's yeah. still ways to yeah. go. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious what your, uh, you know, you're somebody who kind of has, I f my interpretation of, of your job at least, is someone who kind of has to be aware of kind of what's going on yep. in the design world, but also the world at large, yep. but then also kind of well-versed in the history and yeah. kind of theory mm -hmm. around these things. I'm very curious what your kind of media diet is like. Like, how are you consuming all chaotic, of this stuff and like, staying up to date? It's super chaotic. <laughs> yeah. These days, it's, uh, uh, these days I, I'm not doing much. It's basically New York Times, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but otherwise it is tweets and Instagrams okay. and uh, newsletters and uh, friends and, you know, yeah. there are some design publications that I look at most, you know, the usual designs or mm -hmm. design booms. And, yeah. But otherwise, it's very much omnivorous yeah. <laughs> anything that comes my way are you making connections in the moment or or does a you know do you start working on a show and then you kind of go back yeah. and look at all those things yeah. you collected or yeah. are you kind of seeing things like oh i'm filing this away both yeah okay i i Interesting. use pinboard a lot okay <laughs> nice <laughs> so it's all right I, it's, yeah it's always interesting as someone who who you know is operating at, at a kind of much faster level than i am just kind mm -hmm. of does it the same way um we all do it in the same way i gotta tell yeah. you i don't think it is okay uh, that's I, good good to know mm, yeah my last question for you this yeah. hopefully is a very kind of easy quick one i'm curious kind of who are the who are the people the whether it's writers critics curators designers who have really influenced how you think about what you do or influenced your career well, I would say Bernard Rudofsky really mm. did. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. this whole exhibition that I'm working on is kind of um, named after his show, yeah. Art Clothes yeah. Modern. And uh, his work has always been really very important to me. Um, another um, person that I revere is Susan Sontag, the, mm, yeah. con the like continuous critical stance, but also generosity and love for human beings. Yeah, is something I love really that. Too be cherished. Um, I'm trying to think of which other Stanley Kubrick. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. It's okay. like a revere Stanley Kubrick because he was always making the same movie, but it never looked the same. And he had this right. amazing attention for detail and right. real vision and the ability to carry it through yeah. um, with productions that are that were extremely complicated. 
um, I'm trying to think amongst journalists. There are so many people that I admire. It's almost difficult I mean, those, to say. I just love just mm -mm. putting Susan Sontag and Stanley Kubrick in the same. Yeah. I think is is great. I know. I love them. Thank you so much You're for very doing welcome. this. This was so interesting to me. I know this was a busy. You know, it's a busy okay. season Thank for you. Thank you for but... bearing with me, and I'm sorry that I was like a little bit all over the place. No, but... this was great. This was so fun for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode was recorded on August 8th, 2017 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.